Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that when we come into your house, we can expect to encounter you. God, we thank you that you are real, that your promises are real, and that your word is alive. God, as we, as we come into your house this morning, we recognize that your word has the power to change our lives. So we open ourselves up to hear from you, to receive from you. And we pray in Jesus' name that you would speak to us, that Holy Spirit, you would impart wisdom into our life. Lead us, guide us according to your word so that we will be changed, made more into the image of Christ. God, we don't want to just know more about you. We want to know you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, if you have your Bible this morning, I want to speak to you from 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. I want to bring a message this morning called Right Time, Right Place, Right People. Right Time, Right Place, Right People. I want to start out by reading this passage of Scripture to you from 2 Samuel 11. And I just got to tell you right up front that this isn't exactly the most uplifting passage of Scripture. In fact, it's a pretty dark passage of Scripture that I want to look at this morning, but it's something that we can learn so much from in our lives. Talking about David, look at 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. And it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Verse 4. Then David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her. Now skip down to verse 5. And the woman conceived, so she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Now if you know this story very well, you understand that This is a story that tells us about the deepest, darkest, ugliest secret of David's life. David was an amazing man in God's word, but one of the things that really like liberates me, if I'm very honest, is when I read this scripture, I'm almost encouraged to know that there were great men that made big mistakes. Anybody else? I mean, let's be honest. We don't want to celebrate the mistake that he made, but I'm just going to be really honest with you for a minute. I read all these amazing things that people did in Scripture, and when I come to a passage like this where I see that a great man man made a great mistake, it makes me feel a little bit better to know that I'm not the only person who's made big mistakes in my life. Anybody else in that boat with me this morning? See, as human beings, we're imperfect. We all make mistakes. We all make bad decisions. And I think one thing that each and every one of us have in common is that we all know what it's like to live with regret. Anybody else know what it's like to live with regret? You can just raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me. I've been there. I know what it's like to live with regret. Now, I want to talk about regret for just a moment, but before we spend extra time there, I want to just first say this. I don't believe that it is God's will that you and I should live our lives under the guilt and condemnation of our past sins. And say that one more time. If you came in here today and when we talk about regrets, you're immediately reminded of mistakes that you've made in the past. It is not the will of God that you would live your life under the weight and condemnation of mistakes that you've made in the past. Our God is gracious, our God is merciful, and our God is a God who forgives. So this morning, if you are in Christ, the good news is we can let go of the the guilt and the weight of the past mistakes and we can move on. We don't have to live under condemnation. Is anybody grateful for that this morning? It's okay to help me out this morning. Is anybody grateful that God has forgiven you this morning? 
In fact, this is what Scripture says about it. Scripture says that God forgives your sins, casts your sins into the sea of forgetfulness to remember them no more. That is some seriously good news today. That is some seriously good news. And not not only that, Scripture says that God casts our sins so far from us as far as the east is from the west. And what we need to understand is that if our pursuit of God is continually taking our lives in one direction, then as we walk in that direction, our sins are being cast away from us in the exact, exact opposite direction. That's how much God has done for us through what Jesus did on the cross. I'm so incredibly grateful that God has forgiven me. And the ability that God has to forget my past mistakes and forgive me, that, that's just, that, that's insane. It's unfathomable to think that God could just forget about the mistakes that I've made. Because here's the thing. While God might have forgotten about my past mistakes, I can still remember them. Anybody else, you can still look back. And even though you know you're forgiven, I can still remember the things that I've done. Isn't it interesting that God forgives and forgets, but still leaves us with the ability to remember our past mistakes? I don't think God does that to punish us. Let me tell you why I I believe, and this is just me speaking for me. I believe God gives us the ability to hold on to and remember the mistakes that we've made so that next time we find ourselves at a crossroads and in that situation, we won't make the same bad decision twice. Because God wants us to learn from our mistakes. He wants us to learn from our past, right? But here's the thing. Every single regret that we ever have in our life is always the product of a past mistake. We look back at the things that we've done and we say, man, I wish I hadn't been there. I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't said this. I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I hadn't made that choice. I wish I hadn't made that decision. I wish I'd never entered into that partnership. I wish I'd never entered into that relationship. We make some sort of mistake that leads to regret. And I think that there are two very common kinds of mistakes that we make that lead to regret. I think the first one is the honest mistake. And all of us have made these kind of mistakes. Like, has anybody ever made a mistake that sounds something like this? I found myself at a decision point, at a crossroads, and I didn't know what to do. Because I'd never been in that position before. I didn't have the wisdom to know what the correct call was. I didn't have the experience. I didn't have the counsel in my life for someone to tell me what the right call was. So I evaluated the situation. I did the very best that I knew to do with the information I had. And even though I did my very best, it still ended up being the wrong decision. That's an honest mistake. You do your very best, but it doesn't pan out the way you would hope. That's just an honest mistake. There are mistakes that we make in our life that are simply honest mistakes. We did our best, but we didn't have enough knowledge. We didn't have enough wisdom. We didn't have enough experience to know that we were actually, in fact, making the wrong decision. Now, sometimes we can make an honest mistake, and it still has very, very heavy consequences. But the worst kind of mistake, I think, is the second kind of mistake. The second kind of mistake is when we know what the right thing to do is, but we choose to do the wrong thing anyway. Anybody ever made a mistake like that? Like you found yourself at a decision point where you're like, man, I know what the right call is here. I know what the right path is. I know what the right decision is, but my mind and my heart are saying that, but my body's telling me something else. My emotions are telling me one thing. My impulses are telling me another thing. Any children of the 90s in the house, like you grow up in the 90s, anyone here? It's kind of like, my mind's telling me no, (laughs) but my body, my body's telling me yeah. Yeah, you know. Some of you are like, that white guy just tried to sing like R. Kelly right now. 
we've all faced decisions where we knew what the right thing to do was, yet we chose to do the wrong thing because the wrong thing made a better impression on our senses, on our impulses, on our emotions. And even though we knew what the right course of action was, we chose to do the wrong thing. And there's always a terrible repercussion and consequence that comes along with doing the wrong thing when you knew what the right thing to do was. That's the kind of mistake that David made in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Now, I want to dive a little bit further into this passage of Scripture, but I think it's really important that we just review a couple of things real quick, okay? You might be newer to church, you might be newer to Scripture, you might not know the story of David very well, but here's what you need to know. David was a shepherd boy who grew up serving his father in the fields, tending to his sheep. And then one day, David becomes the shepherd king in waiting when the prophet anoints him to one day be the king of Israel. And then he steps out into the fields one day to serve his brothers, and he sees that the entire armies are scared to go up against Goliath. So what does he do? He stands up and he fights the giant. He kills the giant. He brings the giant's head back into camp and says, the giant's dead. Let's go on. Let's move forward. So now David goes and becomes the giant killer. He finds favor in Israel, and then soon he becomes the king over Israel, but not just a king, a conquering king in Israel. This guy is so victorious in battle that the people of Israel sing songs about his victories. They say Saul killed thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. He's the mightiest warrior we've ever had. And oh, by the way, if all of that wasn't enough, David was also the psalmist throughout the course of his life. This is the guy that told us what it was like to write hymns to God, sing songs to God. He was the original writer of worship songs that taught us how to worship God in song. This was David, the amazing man of God who both the Old Testament and the New Testament confirm was a man after God's own heart. A man after God's own heart, but right here in 2 Samuel 11, that doesn't sound much like the man after God's own heart. See, I think each and every one of us, we would sign up to have David's resume. We would sign up to have David's reputation, but none of us would want our deepest, darkest sins ever brought out into the light of day because of the embarrassment that would come along with it. But yet each of us know, hey, I've been some places, I've done some things. There's times when I didn't make the right choice. There was times when I didn't make the right call. I don't know about you, but when I look back at some of the worst decisions I ever made, the biggest mistakes that I've ever made, the times where I put my foot in the trap, I look back and I say, man, if I could go back and do it all over, I wouldn't have chosen that path. I wouldn't have made that decision. I wouldn't have made that choice. I wouldn't have chosen to do the thing I knew was wrong. I would have simply done the thing that I knew to be right, and I would have avoided all of this heartache. We would all say that. I think David would say that. But I think more specifically that if David was here with us today and we could just ask him, David, the man after God's own heart, the man who did so many shining achievements for God, how is it that you fell into this trap? I don't even think that David would say, I just made the wrong decision. I think David would look at us and say, I never should have been in position to make a bad choice to begin with because I was in the wrong place at the wrong time, surrounded by the wrong people. See, you and I can find ourselves in that same position later on and our emotions and our impulses want to take over all over again. Or we can make the wiser decision and see to it that we never come face to face with that kind of decision again by being in the right place at the right time with the right people. And I want to explain this to you from Scripture this morning. This is what 2 Samuel says. We might have passed over this as we read this. You might not have caught what it said at the beginning of this passage. Look again at verse 1. It happened in the spring of the year... At the time when kings go out to battle, who was the king? David. Everybody with me? David was the king. At a time when kings go out to battle, and it says later on in verse 1, 
But David remained at Jerusalem. But David remained at Jerusalem. I think David would say today, I should have never found myself in a position to make the wrong choice. Instead, I was simply in the wrong place at the wrong time, surrounded by the wrong people. I want to talk about those three things this morning. I want to talk to you about time, place, and people. Times, places, and people. And how it is that we can find ourselves in the right place, in the right time, surrounded by the right people. Let's talk, number one, about that first thing. Let's talk a little bit about time. I think if we want to look at this passage of Scripture in proper context, and we don't necessarily want to just talk about time, what we really want to talk about is seasons. In verse 1, it says that it was the springtime of the year, a time when kings went out to battle. The reason why they went out to battle in the springtime, if you study this out, is because it was between winter and it was between summer. It wasn't too cold and it wasn't too hot. Not only that, but the land was more sustainable for the soldiers when they were out in battle because the fields were more ripe with harvest. So that was a time of year where the soldiers would go out, the armies would go out to battle. And in this time of year, it was always custom that the king, along with his generals, would lead those battles or lead those armies in to battle. Now, this is what we need to understand right up front, is that David, as the king of Israel, had responsibilities. But the picture that we see is not a king who was tending to his responsibilities. We see the picture of a king who was sitting home in the comfort of his castle. And what's interesting about it is that comfort will almost always lead us to complacency, especially in our walk with God. And I'm not saying that comfort's a bad thing, but let's just be honest for a moment here. Doesn't that sound a little bit like 21st century Christians in America? Like our comforts are so great in this nation that sometimes it's like, what do we even need God for? I can't tell you how often we talk to people that are like looking at God and church and the way that they view it is, life's already good. I'm already happy. What more happiness can God bring to me? Which totally misses the point of what a relationship with God is. But it's so interesting because David looks at, doesn't even think to look at the season he's in that's calling him to be somewhere else. He misses the season that he's in, and therefore he's in the wrong place at the wrong time. David had these responsibilities, and there were really two big responsibilities that he had in his life. Number one, as king, it was his responsibility to make sure that Israel was protected, to make sure that the homeland was safe, to make sure that everybody, the women and children especially, who were at home were safe. So it's safe at home, but then if you look throughout the Old Testament, you would see that the kings were always going to battle. They were always on the offensive outside of the camp because they were always fending off the people groups outside of Israel who wanted to come in and take their land. And so David, being so victorious for all these years, finds himself in an instance where it's as if our past victories are good enough that I can stay home. Everybody else can go and fight the fight while I kick back, put my feet up in the comfort of the king's castle. David missed the season he was in, so therefore he also found himself in the wrong place, surrounded by the wrong people. Now, when it comes to seasons, here's the thing I want to say about this. David missed, he misanalyzed, he didn't recognize the season that he was in. See, life is made up of seasons for all of us. We all walk through seasons. Sometimes we go through seasons of plenty. Sometimes we go through seasons that are a little bit more difficult. There are some seasons that we walk through in life where we have to trust God a little bit more than the season before. And if you look at the calendar, I can tell you when spring and winter and summer and fall are supposed to start and when they're supposed to end. But the thing about seasons in this life is it's not always easy to know when the season we're currently walking through is going to come to an end and when the next season is going to start. But what I do know is that if I make the best of the season I'm in, I'm bound to have more success in the season that follows. 
And David missed it when it came, when it came to recognizing the season that he was living in. Instead of being out vigilantly, offensively going out and attacking the people groups around that wanted to seize his land, he found himself sitting back, putting himself in a bad situation where he could easily step into a trap. God has called each and every one of us to understand that in every season of life, even though they all might be different, they will all have one thing in common. We should never become so compl- or so comfortable that we become complacent. We should always be at a place where we recognize that God is calling us to go out and reach more territory, take more territory for all that he's calling us to, because every day of our life that we are still alive on this earth, God has more for me and he has more for you. Yesterday's victories will never be enough tomorrow. We can't look back and say what God did in the past was good enough. No, we have to take a vigilant approach to life into every season we find ourselves in and recognize that God continually wants us to be on the offensive, looking for more and not resting on yesterday's victories. Because as soon as we become complacent, that's when the enemy steps in and begins to pillage the blessings that God has poured into our life. Look at David sitting in comfort which turns into complacency back at his palace. And pretty soon he sets himself up to fail because he's relaxed and he's not being vigilant in the season that he's in. We have to be intentional about recognizing the seasons we are in and never go off of the offensive and know that God wants us to continually go out and fight for all that he's promised us. Now, another thing I want to say very quickly about seasons that I think is really, really important. In seasons, we always tend to look at seasons and think that If I'm in a tough season, man, God, just hurry up and get me through this season. No, God wants to teach us lessons in the seasons that we're in. And sometimes we won't move into the next season unless we pass a test in the season that we currently are in. And we have to be able to understand that and recognize it. We have to recognize that season, do it well, so we can step successfully into the one that's in front of us. So seasons are incredibly important. But let's move on to the next thing. Let's talk a little bit about places. We talk first about time. But let's talk also about places. Scripture says that in the time when kings go out to war, David stayed home. He sent everybody else out to fight. See, David in that season was called to the battlefield, but instead he stayed in the palace. And I want to ask you this morning, what field are you called to in the season of life that you're in? What field are you called to occupy in the season of life that you're in? What field are you called to be present in? in the season of life that you're in. I was looking back at this and I was just thinking about various stages that people walk through throughout the course of their life. And I was thinking about how you go from young adulthood into married life and you become a parent and then later on you can retire. You do these different stages and seasons of life. Here's a few examples. When you're walking through young adulthood, there's a fighting field that's out there that you have to walk through in order to become successful in the seasons that will follow. And I was thinking about just the young adults in our church. What's the fight of young adulthood? The fight of young adulthood, the fighting field is oftentimes higher education, it's studying, it's putting in long hours, it's career training, it's working an odd job maybe to get yourself through school. But if we'll be fully present during the season of struggle, what we'll find is that promotion is waiting for us in the next season of life if we'll be faithful in the season that we find ourselves, if we're fully present in the field that we've been called to. How could David expect to be victorious if he doesn't lead his own troops out into the field, but instead decides to sit back when the call of God on his life at that time was to be out fighting with his men? We have to be fully present in the fields that God has called us to go and fight in. What if you're a business owner? What if you're an entrepreneur? If you're starting a business, what's your fighting field? The fight in starting a business is getting your business off the ground. It's building capital. It's growing your customer base. It's investing your profits back into the company. 
And if you're willing to make sacrifices today, you will build greater value for your business in the future. It's a matter of how present you are in this season that will determine your prosperity in the seasons to come. What about marriage? Let's talk about marriage for a second. I know there's a lot of married people here today. We think about marriage and the struggles that come along, the challenges that come along, the things that you go through, especially early on in marriage. I mean, there's so much of a fighting field that's out there that we have to walk through and be fully present in through marriage. The fighting field of marriage is learning to understand one another. It's resolving your conflicts. It's improving your communication skills. It's clinging to each other during good times and in bad times. But if you'll be fully present during each season of marriage, you'll one day reach a season where no obstacle that's thrown at you will be able to shake the foundation that you've built. Why? Because in every season, you're fully present in the fighting field that you're called to. Sometimes we want to skip through these difficult seasons because we don't like how hard this season is. And God says, no, do your season well and you'll step into another season of success right around the corner. I was thinking about this one with parenting. Where are all the parents at? How many people have young kids? Okay, this one's hard, all right? Because this is the season that we're in. I mean, I'm just going to come right out and say it. Parenting little kids is really, really hard. I mean... You look at it and you're like, yeah, we're going to have a baby. It's going to be so great. Like, oh my God. We're like four years into this and like half the time we just want to like leave. See you guys later, you know, like have fun. Figure it out. Because parenting's difficult. And sometimes the challenges that you walk through in that season of life challenge you to not be fully present in investing into your kid's life during that season. Why? Because it's hard. And it's a fighting field that we're called to that we have to persistent. We have to be persistent about and persevere through and be fully present in so that our kids grow up and have good lives because we've invested well in them. I thought about this a little bit. What's the fighting field of parenthood? The The fighting field of parenthood is learning to be patient, giving your kids your full attention, learning to be patient, teaching your kids right from wrong when you would rather just let them do their own thing, learning to be patient, Here's a good one. Disciplining and correcting your kids so that they don't make the same mistakes you did. Learning to be patient. And learning to be patient. That's the fighting field of parenthood. And I know that every single person, especially, it doesn't matter if you have older kids or you're walking through that season now, one of the biggest challenges in that season of life is being fully present on your most difficult days. Because sometimes you just want to be like, I'm going to turn a movie on. Why don't you sit there and watch it? Because I'm tired of dealing with you. And you love your kids. You're not going to abandon them. But sometimes the biggest thing is just to kind of like take a step back and not be fully present in the little moments of their life. Because of how difficult that fighting field season is where what you need to be is persistent. And you need to persevere through it because here's the reality. It's a hard season of life. It's not easy. It's not easy at all. But if we'll spend our parenting season, investing in our kids, will one day enjoy the fruits of our investment when they step into the parenthood season of life themselves. That's what I'm told, at least. My, my, my parents say it's really wonderful, like, getting to watch your kids because they come over, they're really nice, and then they just send them home at the end of the night. Like, this week, my kids um, were at my parents' house, and my, my daughter, Livy, she's four. <laughs> they're like, yeah, Livy can stay the night. We're like, well, what about Waylon? He's 15 months. And they're like, Isn't he up at like, you know, three o'clock in the morning sometimes needing to be fed? Well, yeah. They're like, well, we don't really like to do that. We're like, well, we don't really like to do it either, but 
But hey, listen, when you're in that stage of life, it doesn't matter what season you're in. There's a fighting field that we're called to, and sometimes we want to escape those fields because it's hard. We can name any of those seasons of life, and we could all say, somebody here could identify with any of those seasons and say, this is a difficult time of life. And sometimes it's hard to be fully present and fully persistent and persevere through that season because sometimes it's so difficult that I just want to quit. I just want to give up. But the biggest challenge is to be fully present in the place that God has called us. Look what happened to David because he chose not to be present in the field that he was called to during that season of life. There's a whole lot of stuff that happens later on in this story of David. What we see, actually, if you don't know the full story, we see that eventually David wants to go and tell this woman, after he finds out she's pregnant, he wants to go and tell her or tell her husband, man, I've really messed up. And it's like he's going to come clean, but then he chickens out. He doesn't come clean, and so he decides he's going to cover it up by sending him off into battle, and he tells the commander of the armies, send him out to the front line. So pretty soon he's killed, and he's tried to cover the whole thing up. And then later on, the baby is born, the baby gets sick and actually dies, and God looks down and says, this thing you have done, I am not pleased with, David. And it all happened because he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I think if we could talk to him, what he would say to us is it wasn't even about the decision, it's about I never should have been in position to make a bad choice in the first place. A lot of us find ourselves in situations where we make bad decisions because we position ourselves to be forced to make a tough decision when we could have avoided the decision to begin with. Let's talk about the third thing now. We talked about time, talked about places. What about people? What about people? When you look at the story of David, it's so amazing how as the king, the guy who had all this authority, he looks down, he's already in a place he shouldn't be in a time that he shouldn't be there, He looks down and he casts his eyes upon this woman. And suddenly something starts to rise up on the inside of him and he's starting to become attracted to this woman. And he sends his messengers down to get this woman and bring her to him. And what's really interesting about that is that I look at this and I think to myself, did David have anybody in his life at that moment in time who could have possibly looked at him and said, David, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure this is a good decision? Have you weighed the repercussions of this decision? Have you thought about what might happen after, this, after you make this choice? What if she were to get pregnant? What if her husband were to find out? Not only that, what would everybody else in your army fi- say if they found out that you had gotten another man's wife pregnant? They might not trust you anymore because they might think that you might try to go after their wives too. And oh, by the way, those men who are out on the battlefield are in the place that you were supposed to be all along. Did David have anybody in his life that could have said, have you weighed the consequences of this choice? Have you thought about what might happen? David, are you sure you want to do this? See, I think David was surrounded by yes people because he was the king. When he told them to jump, they just simply said, how high, king? I think David would look back at it now and say, man, the wisest thing I could have done wouldn't even be to have made a better decision. The wisest thing I could have done was to have surrounded myself with a few advisors who had been some places and done some things who could look at me and say, you don't want to do this, David. This is a bad decision, David. Don't put yourself in this spot, David. There could, have, there could be terrible consequences and repercussions if you do this, David. But instead, he had nobody there to say those things to him. I want to ask you a question this morning. How many people do you have in your life that can say no to you? When you think about endeavors, when you think about ideas, when you think about things that you want to set out and do, do you have people in your life who have wisdom, who have experience, who have knowledge, who can give you sound counsel and look at you and say, 
I don't think you've thought about this from every single angle. And if I was advising you based upon my experience, I would advise you not to do this. Do you have people in your life that can say no to you? In fact, let's talk about three things really fast at the end of this, okay? I think there are three kinds of friends that each and every one of us need in our life. Number one, I think we all need someone in our life that can say no to us. Some of you are like, I have a spouse that does that. And like, maybe you should start listening to them. Or how about this, guys? Maybe you should start listening to your wife when she says no. Maybe she's got a point. Maybe she's got some wisdom. Maybe she's got some experience in that area that you don't have. If she keeps saying no and you keep saying yes and you continue to have conflict, maybe it's time you listen to what she says for once. All the ladies said amen. (laughs) See, we all need people in our life that can say no to us. But you know what I think? I think the opposite is true. When it comes to faith things, when it comes to the things of God, we all need people in our life that can say yes to us also. Because when seasons get difficult and we find ourselves having a hard time being fully present in difficult seasons, you know what we often do? We often want to quit. We often want to give up. We often want to say no. But we all need people in our life that can speak wisdom and faith into our life and say, don't give up. Hold on. God has made you promises. Listen, this endeavor that you've set out on, man, God has had his hands all over that. And right now, it might not feel like it's turning out the way you thought it would. But if you don't give up, you're going to step into a season of harvest time if you don't lose heart and if you don't give up hope. We all need yes people in our life also that their yes is the yes of God. It's the word of God. It's those words of encouragement. It's their counsel. It's their guidance. It's their judgment that speaks life into our situation. And when we want to give up and when we want to say no, they look at us and say, no, don't give up. Come on. Keep going. Keep going. Be present. Be persistent. Persevere through the tough seasons. Because if you get through this and you do this season well, you're going to step into a season of blessing like you've never, ever known before. We need yes people in our lives as well. But then finally, the third kind of friend I think we all need, I think we all need friends, we all need people in our lives that we can impart our experiences to, that we can impart our wisdom, if you want to call it that, our knowledge of the mistakes that we've made, of the good decisions, the bad decisions, the places that we've been. We all need people in our lives that we can look back and say, yeah, the thing you're walking through right now, I've been there. And let me tell you what I did. Here's where I got it wrong. Here's where I got it right. Here's where I got good counsel. Here's where I got bad counsel. Here's what the word of God says about this decision that you're facing. Because God doesn't want us just to be reservoirs of things. He also wants to be able to get things through us because he's called us to reach other people as well. We all need those three kinds of friends in our life. We need friends that will say no. We need friends that will say yes. And we need friends that we can impart our wisdom and our experience and our knowledge to because of places that we've been. You know, in closing this morning, today with us having our Connect Group Expo and all that stuff, I thought real long and hard about creating a message that would be about Connect Groups, about fellowship, about being in relationship with other believers. And I never really settled on anything like that, but I felt like God had put this in my heart. And I've preached a, a smaller version of this message a long time ago at Man to Man, and I felt like God kind of extended it out and showed me a few other things in this passage. But a couple of weeks ago, I got invited to speak to a group of older men who were retired and these guys all belong to the same country club. And they said, hey, will you come speak to our men's Bible study? And then afterwards, we get to play golf. That was like the bonus of getting to speak to them. Yeah, afterwards, we'll take you to play golf. I'm like, I'm in. So <laughs> anyway, I got there and I was speaking to these guys. And I didn't realize that every guy in the room was a retired man. I didn't realize that there wasn't going to be anybody in the room that was about my age and in my season of life. And I'll tell you what, it's a humbling, humbling thing to stand before people that have been places you haven't been and try to speak to them. I stood there that day, 
And these guys were some of the most kind, encouraging men that I've ever met. They were so, so kind to me. And I brought a word to them kind of from this passage of Scripture that I really thought was in season for them. But I got done speaking to them, and as I talked to these guys one by one, I just found myself so humbled because I sat there and I thought, this is a group of men who are retired that at this stage in their life are getting to live the kind of life they wanted. Because years ago, in the more difficult seasons of life, they persevered, they were persistent, they made the tough choices so that later on in life, they could reap all the fruits and the rewards of those tough choices that they made a long time ago. I sat there and I thought, man, who am I to speak to these guys? I should be here listening to these guys, asking them questions about how it is that I plan for my future, asking them what the right decisions are, what the wrong decisions are, the good steps, the bad steps, the good paths, the wrong paths. How is it that I can learn from you guys, not me teaching you guys and telling you guys? These guys were so kind to me and they were so humble and so gracious. And I got to thinking about how important it is that we are surrounding ourselves with God's people in all areas of our life. One of the saddest things that we hear all the time here in our church, and it's not just in our church, it's in every church. We hear stories all the time of people in our church that go through incredibly difficult seasons. They go through tragedies. They go through physical problems. People will have hospital stays. They go through stuff in their families, stuff in their relationships, stuff in their marriages. And they go through these things that are these long, drawn-out processes. When it's all over, they come back to church and tell us about it. And we're like, I had no idea that you were going through all that. And the biggest reason why we didn't know is because they're not connected to anybody else. They're not connected to any other of the people of God between Sundays. And it's so incredibly sad to me. You know, we could stand up and we could try to sell everybody on, hey, you should try to join a connect group. It'd be really good for you. And we just really want you to be a part of a connect group for the sake of just getting people into groups. But here's the truth. God did not create you and God did not create me to do life alone. I'm going to say it again because that's something that every single one of us needs to know and understand. God did not create us to do life alone. God wants us to be in relationship and fellowship with other believers because I can strengthen you and you can strengthen me. And sometimes we back off those relationships and sometimes we back off that fellowship because it can be difficult and it can be an effort and we have to really try to make it happen. You know, it's interesting when the word of God says that iron sharpens iron, you know what happens when iron comes into collision with itself? Sparks fly. But as a result, we're all made the better for it. And sometimes we need to make an effort to connect ourselves with other people in the body of Christ because God did not intend for us to do life alone. And I'll show this to you in Scripture real quick. This is what Proverbs chapter 18 says. It says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. Isn't that exactly the situation that David found himself in when he was in the wrong place at the wrong time? He's isolated and suddenly seeking after his own desire instead of being in the place that God had called him to. He isolates himself and seeks after his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. Some translations say counsel. Psalm 1, 1 and 3 says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf also, also does not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. God wants us to be in unity. He wants us to be in fellowship and relationship with other believers because it's not just about making friends. It's about growing in God together so that we walk through difficult seasons of life and we do them well. When we talk about connect groups 
I could tell you a lot of great things about connect groups, but I have one reason above all why I think connect groups are amazing. I met my wife in a connect group, and that's like good enough reason for me to like be in one for the rest of my life. Single people, you never know who you might meet if you go to a connect group. Last thing is this. In 2006, I was 25 years old. I got right with God about a couple years before that, and I was really going hard after God and what he had for my life. And I needed to be surrounded by people who would strengthen me because before that, I was surrounded by people who were going absolutely nowhere. And I was going with them. It wasn't their fault. It was our fault. And I looked back at that season, and I felt like God was calling me to move to Orange County and be a part of a church plant. And I met a friend there one night, met him for the first time. He said, hey, what small group are you in? What connect group are you in? And I told him, I said, I haven't been to a connect group. He says, well, you need to come to my connect group. And I said, okay. And he said, it's meeting at a coffee shop on this night at this time. I was still living out here in this direction to drive all the way out to Orange County after getting off work and getting cleaned up. And how long will it take me to get there? And, man, it's going to take an effort. And da-da-da-da-da. And I had every excuse in the world for not going. And I was running about 30 minutes late that night to be there. And I'll never forget throughout the course of that day getting text messages from, hey, you coming tonight? Are you still coming tonight? What time do you think you're going to be here? I'll save a seat for you. I remember I was running late and I felt so bad. I was like, hey, man, I'm running a little bit behind, but I'm on my way. I'm going to be there. I'll never forget pulling up to that coffee shop that night. And my friend, Steve, my friend Steve was waiting outside with his phone in his hand, just waiting for me to get there. Everybody else was inside hanging out. And I was trying so hard to discover everything that God had for my life. And I'll be really honest with you. I think God would have got me to where he wanted me to go. But that night played a significant impact and played a significant role in my life. Because I'm not sure I would have stuck out that season had it not been for one friend who was willing to continue to call me, continue to text me, and wait outside the coffee shop until I got there so that I could feel included. And I'm so happy to say that because of that one friend, I know that I stepped in closer to everything that God had for my life. In fact, that guy's still my friend, and he pastors a church in New York City today. And I want to tell you something, that you don't know who you're going to meet if you choose to be in a relationship, if you choose to be present, if you persist in this season to make friends and be in the house of God and surround yourself with God's people. You don't know what lies on the other side of that handshake, of that introduction, because God did not design for you to do life alone. He wants you to step into a relationship with him and with his people so that we find ourselves in the right places at the right times, surrounded by the right people, and we can step into the right things that he has for our lives. Amen? Amen. Amen. Why don't we give God praise this morning? Morning, just thank him for his goodness.